We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jake Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here Here we go. Hello, Jay. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. We are slipping in here with a little surprise bonus episode. And surprise, it's about triplets. (laughs) Yeah, what a surprise. We are never going to complain again. (laughs) But you will. We will, for sure. We both will. (laughs) This episode was so good. It's with Tori. She is not only a triplet mama, but she had a singleton first, who was about two, two and a half when she then had her triplets it's just everyone wants to know how and are you okay and I think it's quite nice to just listen to her via podcast instead of stopping her on the street (laughs) and going how on earth do you do triplets (laughs) but to be honest after speaking with Tori I turned to you and I said well if anyone (laughs) can handle triplets and everything else that she's got going on it is her she is an absolute machine powerhouse yeah a powerhouse but she's got a lot of support which she explains and it's just so interesting to hear her journey how big those babies were and it's just such a different newborn period and imagine being pregnant with three like you're currently yeah imagine three of them imagine all three of my children but pop them all in me right now no thank you very much now do you have any updates since Tuesday. <laughs> um, we're going out for a Christmas lunch. I know a huge Beyond the Bump Christmas oh. party. Population two. Population two, but with us talking, that's all we need on nah, a table. Absolutely. It's going to be fantastic. We uh, deserve it. Absolutely. I think. And even if we didn't, we'd be doing it too. Yeah. And I got an iron infusion yesterday, so I'll be doing cartwheels in two weeks' time. Just watch. I, if I tried to do a cartwheel, I would, no joke, piss myself. And but, I also found out Sophie has a tattoo because she had an iron infusion bruise and underneath that I'm like, is that a, is that a tattoo? And she's like, yeah, I've had it for ages, but you have, but I've well, never had it. I've had it for nearly five years. Thanks I for got noticing. it after Poppy was born. I call it my sleeve, even though it's three teeny tiny numbers. <laughs> Sorry, my reflux is so bad today. I ate pizza for breakfast. My if you're God, a pregnant woman yeah. out there with reflux, do not eat Pizza. pizza that has jalapenos on it oh for breakfast. Gosh, I know it was just, that. but it was so delicious. I couldn't resist, but I'm just I'm regretting it so much. Anyway, yeah, I have a tiny two 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 tattooed on me, and it's because Poppy was born at two twenty two on the twenty second of the second. And Poppy actually turned to me the other day. She goes, uh, "Are you going to get a tattoo for Goldie anytime <laughs> soon?" I was like, "Oh, yeah, I've got one of my dogs, and my kids are like, are you going to get one?'" I'm like, "No, that's it. Darling. No, I only get them for special." Yeah. Really special, special people. (laughs) Now let's get into today's episode with Tori. We hope you love this one and we'll see you again next Tuesday for our regular episode. Enjoy. Before we jump into today's episode, just a quick content warning. Tori does briefly discuss fetal reduction and what that is in this episode. So if you feel that this may be triggering for you, it might be best to skip today's episode. Hello, Tori. Thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Bump today. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah, sure. So I'm 36 years old. I've got triplets. So I've got three two-and-a-half-year-olds and I've got a four-and-a-half-year-old as well. So four under five. Wow. <laughs> And yeah, I'm working, I'm back at work. I've been back at work for about a year full time. What do you do? I'm training to be a dermatologist. So I'm doing my specialty training in the public hospital system. I've been doing dermatology now for about four years and I've still got about two more years and a big exam to finish. 
and I live, I'm married, so my husband, and I've also moved in with my parents. So we all live together just for the family support to sort of basically help me get through the training and to raise the little village that are the litter of children that I've created. Wow. Um, wow. So is it safe to assume you're a busy lady? Oh, yes. Yes, a bit yes. busy. I think we've rescheduled this about four times. I apologize. No, that is absolutely fine. And we were flabbergasted because just before we jumped on, you said, sorry, I'm going to be five minutes late. I'm just putting the babies to bed. And I was like, what do you mean you're putting three babies to bed in five minutes? It's like military. They're like little robots. So I just basically, they're in the NICU. They came at 36 weeks gestation, um, which is excellent for triplets. So like 90% of triplets are premies. And they actually think 32 weeks gestation is pretty good. So your due date's a lot earlier with triples. So, yeah, they got into a great routine in the NICU. I actually had preeclampsia, so I was in there for a bit of a while and then the NICU nurses, you know, they have to be and they have to measure the volumes that are going in and the volumes that are coming out, which really set them into a good routine. So the silver lining to that time in hospital. And and then I've just pretty much kept it ever since. Obviously, they dropped to like the three naps a day to the two. Now they're on one nap a day. And they're like, they eat their lunch and they go and get their bags and rush in and turn their sound thingy on and say goodbye. And then we see them at about 3.30, 12.30 to 3.30 is their nap. And they chat amongst themselves. Like the video content's pretty hilarious. And then they're caught. There's two boys and one girl, so Ed, Sam, Grace. And they tend to like, plank between cots and like pull their cots next to each other so they can like chat and then how cute so you'll just see like toys flinging we've had one code brown where the boys thought it would be hilarious to take their nappies off and then clean themselves along the cot and then just hurl the nappies at the wall and I came into absolute carnage, like Ed's peeing through the cots and they're like raucous laughter and Grace, my little angel, my saving grace is there saying, no! Oh, the poor thing trapped in a cot surrounded by her brother's shit. (laughs) Okay, can we just go back to the start where you found out that you were having triplets? Yes. What happened? That was an experience that you won't forget. I was at work. I was working at the kids' hospital, so like in the NICU basically. And I felt a bit funny. It was my second pregnancy, obviously, and I'm a bit of a hypochondriac and I have access to ultrasounds. So I was like, I'm just going to duck across the road by myself and get this ultrasound. And my husband's like, all right, whatever. He was at work. But you knew you were pregnant. I knew, yeah, I've done the blood test and I knew I was pregnant and I was, it was probably like around 10 weeks. And did you feel any different to with your first? I was super emotional, like I'm dermatology, so it's not really like life and death most of the time, but I was like crying when someone had chronic eczema, like I'm just super emotional and they're like, it's fine, like I'm I'm okay with it, like you can work through it in your own time. Um, They're trying to help you. (laughs) They're like giving me a hug at the end of the consult and there must have been some other symptom that I was worried about. So I couldn't wait. I couldn't possibly wait for the obstetrics appointment. So I just called my husband. I called my obstetrician. He said, yeah, just get a scan and you feel better. Ran across the street and they started the scan and they looked up at the screen. And, you know, you hold your breath waiting yeah, for that yeah. first And I could see flickers and, like, maybe two sacks. And I was like, no way. And then she goes, I go, is there twins? And she goes, no. I was like, oh, my God. And then she's, like, scanning a bit more. She's like, there's actually three saps, but don't worry. Like, you might have an empty sap. Like, you don't know yet. So goes the first one. And they're like, yep, strong heartbeat. Yep, strong heartbeat. Yep, strong heartbeat. And it's like, oh, my gosh. I love and, um, Yeah. And then my mom's my GP, and she was on the system. So they sent the report through to her practice. So I was like, oh, no, she's going to get a printout of, like, the one. I hadn't even told her I was pregnant. So there are a lot of frantic, like, do I call my husband or my mom first? And there's a lot of expletives. My husband was just like, you're kidding me. Um, but, like, happy, obviously. And the hardest thing was, in retrospect, from that first ultrasound, I didn't know the ultrasonographer. I didn't know the obstetrician, like, the 
specialists that came in the room, but they said you really need to consider reduction. So selective reduction is obviously with multiples, particularly triplets and higher order multiples, they've increased risk of everything from stillbirth, prematurity, downs, cerebral palsy, and to give the fetuses the best chance, they often counsel people on reducing, which is a hectic conversation to have when you've just found out you're just having triplets and you desperately want a second baby for, you know, a sibling, da, da, da. So what they do is you go in and get an ultrasound and they inject the heart with a lethal medication. So they and then just choose one or them. however many. They choose. So they're not meant to do gender selection, but like, you know, if you had three boys at home, they might take that into consideration. But, but no, it's more access. So if like a triplet's hidden at the back, they'll take the one that's like the most easy to access because it's a big needle. And, and you can do testing as well and, and they can look at the morphology, like the, yeah. what it looks like on ultrasound. Wow, that would be such a difficult decision to Checked make. It. So did you ever consider that? Well, it was the time it was like we were just going into lockdown mm. and we didn't actually know what COVID was, et cetera. And so that was chaos working. I was working at Westmead at the time and we were like the COVID centre. So I don't know, the world was just crazy at the time and I sort of just kept deferring the decision. And I went and spoke to like the head of NICU at a certain pediatric hospital and their advice was like, oh, look, you know, for where you are, you're training and you've got to think of your little two-year-old at home. How will it be for him if you had, you know, specialist appointments and three high needs kids in wheelchairs, you know, what, what does life look like for him and for you and da, da, da. And I just sort of made the decision by not making the decision. Yeah. And like, thank God it worked out for us and we landed three healthy babies and but it's so much to sort of process. And is it kind of like with twins that there's certain scenarios that are more risky than others? Like were any of yours 100%. sharing placentas or anything like that? So you've got fraternal and identical. So identical is when you've got one that splits, whereas fraternal is two separate sort of embryos that are formed and they're not identical. So when you have identicals that split, depending on what time they split, so if it splits super early, you can have your own placentas. It's much better. So my triplets all all had their own placentas and sacs. Yeah, so I never tested the boys, so I don't know if they're identical or not because I just didn't get around to it. It was like an expense. Why were you doing? (laughs) (laughs) But it's funny, um, like the French call identical, uh, sorry, non-identical fraternal twins, like Fogemo, like fed twins. Oh. The society doesn't have the same like excitement about fraternal twins. I didn't know there was this hierarchy of twins, but apparently there is. And do triplets just get to sit at the top? Like surely there's yeah, nothing right. fake about that. Well, no, mine is second because they're not identical. Uh, yeah, like, true. And is triplets one of those things, like does it run in a family? The so fraternal does, right. yeah. So you basically have to like hyperovulate for fraternal. So you have to pop out two eggs that get fertilised. Whereas with identicals, it's just like the luck of the draw. Like it just, for whatever reason, it like keeps So it does run in your family. So you potentially ovulated three times that cycle. I think I did. And then I had subsequent ultrasounds that showed they're like, yeah, be careful this month. Like after the triplets, like you could have another round of triplets for whatever reason, completely natural. So yeah, like no IVF or anything. I just spontaneously... Yeah. Did you have morning sickness? How were you feeling with three oh, babies yeah. in your tummy? The McDonald's drive-through <laughs> at Westmead, like, yeah, it was bad. But I found I could eat through it. I know lots of people have terrible hyperemesis, but I was so fortunate. And my first pregnancy, I didn't really have that. So, yeah, just if I, I'd eat, like, Guzman and Guzman for breakfast, basically. Yeah. Guzman and Guzman, whatever, for breakfast. And, like, if I could just eat and it kept the nausea at bay. And what size, like, roughly, you know, how they have an app where, you know, oh, there's an orange in your tummy today. What would you oh, be? Yeah. So I just decided I was not going to weigh myself during this yeah. pregnancy. I was like, that's a number I just don't need to know. And my obstetrician was pretty chill and I had scans, like, all the time. So he was like, yeah, cool. There wasn't really like any body dysmorphia or anything else. Why I was just like, ah, like my body's going to do what it needs to do, and I could care less what that number is. I just, I, you just want them all to be big. I just wanted them all to be over two kilos. So my daughter was three kilos 
one of the boys <gasps> was three kilos and oh one of the my boys gosh. was about just on two. So I was just like, I think they're the numbers I needed to know. Oh, but Poppy on loan was three <laughs> kilos and I felt ginormous. Imagine having that is really decent sizes. Yeah. That's incredible. So lucky, so lucky. But did you feel physically, I just feel like being like nearly full term with one is, it's so exhausting. Like even Sophie now, she's out of breath. I'm it's, not going to complain again. It's, no, it's no, everyone, each to their own, but like it's so different. I just imagine her sitting here with three <laughs> of those inside I'd be like her. This well, I wouldn't be, in, I'd be over here. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do a podcast, that's for sure, because all you could be able to hear was And you got breathing. to 36 weeks gestation. Yeah, so I was like, I wasn't able to sleep for more than like an hour at a time because I'd wake up in excruciating pain and I had pretty bad like wasting down my right leg because they were sitting on some mm. nerves. But I could walk and things towards the end. Like lots of people need to get hospitalised towards the end, but um, I was more comfortable at home and we're close to the hospital, so that was all good. And it was just a planned C-section. So, yeah, I just like mentally set that date and it was just an arbitrary date with the obstetrician. And then I just like, I need to get to that date. Can you birth naturally triplets or do they advise not? Or they advise not to. Like you just want to get them out yeah, because the risk of like hypoxia and things. Like I'm not an obstetrician, so I'll probably be saying the wrong things. But I think it's like anything you can if you want to and you're informed and you make that decision. Yeah. But I would say the medical 100%. recommendation would be to have a cesarean. And did you get to 36 weeks because something happened at 36 weeks or was it like risk benefit, you've reached 36 weeks, let's do the cesarean? Yeah, 100% risk benefit. I was under the care of a high-risk obstetrician that specialised in um, multiples and he yeah. basically was just like, let's just let's just call it then. In retrospect, like the placentas are all good, so I could have pushed it a bit further, but then I got preeclampsia postpartum. So it was like right. we um, called it when we did because they might have, you know, started to fall off. And what is preeclampsia for people that don't know? So that's when you get high blood pressure in pregnancy. It's not uncommon, but it can be life-threatening to the mum and to the fetus. And often it's a reason why you pull the baby out early. And the high blood pressure can persist afterwards. So it's something that you want to treat seriously. I was treated in the ICU and medications to bring the blood pressure down. Yeah. It's quite unusual to get it after you deliver. It's usually you have it in like the final stages of pregnancy. And that's why they look at the growth of the baby really carefully at the end, because if the baby's not getting enough blood flow. Um, they can't grow properly. I can't even imagine, though, what your body goes through when it, like, it grows three babies for yeah. nearly nine months and then they're just out of you. Like, I'm not surprised oh. things were oh, not exactly. sure how to regulate. Like, that is such a, and, you know, especially with the cesarean, it happens yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah. Like, that is just a wild change. Thousand, no, no, you're right. And it, it's more common when you have more placentas because, you know, when the placenta detaches, it, like, releases all this stuff. And, and yeah, you're right. Your body's just been, like, in this homeostasis or this balance trying to look after four humans and then all of a sudden it's down to one and then you're trying to make milk and, like, oh, my God, milk is, like, a whole other. <laughs> so how were the babies when they were born? They were awesome. They all fed, like they all went and fed immediately. The room is insane. The delivery suite, you literally have like 20 medical staff, nurses and doctors there. You have, I had my um, neonatal pediatrician and then there were three fellows, so three doctors, and then they each had a nurse, so Pete's nurse with them. Then I had my anaesthetist and then she had a sidekick doctor there. I think they were just, it was a public hospital, so lots of people just wanted to come and have a look. I, yeah, yeah, I, I would have been there were, if I could have. I think you were a bit of a monkey in a cage, but yeah, yeah. keep going. And then my obstetrician and then there were two registrars with him and then they had like the theatre nurse and then like a theatre runner and then my husband and I. And it was 
lockdown. So I hadn't seen anyone forever. And then suddenly you're, you're at like a concert, basically. You were like, happy everyone. Yeah. What you been up to? Yeah. So what was the feeling the first time you had three babies? Are they all in one of those little trolleys or do they have to have their separate ones? How does it work? They all have, oh my God, it's wild. So you see like the three little oh my gosh. beds set up, like the three little bus, and they have to have capacity to resuscitate three. So they've got all the resus gear for three babies there. And when I saw, it was the same pediatrician that I had for my first baby. And just seeing him, it was such a relief. That was the first time I'd like, I'm not a crier, but like I just cried when I saw him. And he's really like not a touchy-feely kind of guy. And he was like really awkward about it. So that was a nice awkward moment. But I just felt like, oh, I've done my job and I could like hand it over to someone that I trusted. Yeah to look after the babies and then when you first see their face like grace came out and she was three kilos and huge and happy and screaming and i was like you know all the joy that you have with your first baby and then the second all the joy again like condensed into like a minute later and then eddie was my small one so i probably fretted about him for you know nine or like however long 36 weeks and he was tiny but he was perfect and then they put him next to my face. He he was first to come over and his face is like the size of my nose. Yeah. And um Oh, I feel so emotional. That is so yeah, sweet. Like, I'll have to share the photo of Eddie because that like it's just such a beautiful photo. And so what was what were the main things they were in the NICU for? Like, you know, that they, they so, came yeah. out healthy, but what did they need help with? feeding so they learn to suck so sucking is like a skill that they need to learn so ironically eddie the smallest had the strongest suck because they've got that drive to survive and like mm. they, he wanted to feed the most so he had he could feed from me first but they have a nasogastric tube like you know the tube through the nose yeah. to do the feed. and i managed to express enough for them to all have breast milk so blood sugars so obviously because mm. They just have to watch the blood sugars and a bit of light as well because they get jaundiced really easily because, you know, their liver's not firing. Mm. And then skin's super important. They all have eczema. <laughs> Please tell us all about it. <laughs> topical steroids are good. Use them. They all had topical steroids pretty much from the NICU for their eczema because the skin's so fragile and emollient and, like, barrier care because their nappies are just, you know, so delicate, the skin. That was it. I'm pretty sure they had a drip for a bit, but that was that was about it. And then I crashed, so I was meant to go home, and I sort of self discharged, which wasn't good because <laughs> I just wanted okay. to get home to okay, my yeah. four year old. I'm like, I'm done. They're fine. Like I was totally knocked off with the preeclampsia. Yeah, you go a bit like funny in the head. You don't, you can't make decisions for yourself. Um, and it's the hospital that I worked in, so I was sort of like fobbing off these poor residents that were coming to check me out medically and they're like your blood pressure's through the roof I'm like I'm fine I'll start something I'll check it and then I went home and basically crashed and um, went back to a different hospital. So what day did you go back in and have to go to ICU like did your milk come in does it come in three times? Yeah my milk came late so it was usually around like day three four it was same with my first because I had a cesarean both times and I think it's a bit later so it was in well and truly and like all the crying and all that had happened. <laughs> and then I think I went home on day five. Yeah. And that was a push for the public hospital. They were going to send me home like day four. I asked for an extra night because I knew something wasn't right. And I was off the ward because I was in the NICU so they weren't checking my blood pressure. So it's super important to look after yourself after the babies. You get so like you just want to be with them and like you, it's so hard to split your time between three. Yeah. You want to hold them all and make sure you're like doing all the things. So I wasn't on the ward for them to check all the things that were going off me. Yeah. yeah. So how do you work out who you're feeding at what time <laughs> and what breast? Like there's just so much to think about and then you've got three of them. Yeah. So I just pumped. I got one of those Medela like hospital ones, you know, on the trolleys, like the industrial one. Oh, wow. Like, you would need that. 24-7, <laughs> that noise. And I just expressed, so I just tried to pump to get my supply up. And being in ICU, all I could do was pump. And I'm a little bit type A, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to pump. And I was just like 
on the hours all you could do because you couldn't like hold them and things. Mm. I had fever. So I think I was in isolation during COVID. Yeah. And when the milk was coming in, it was the only like sort of normal thing to do. And so I was lucky that I had that period to like get my supply up and they're pumping you with like fluids and stuff. So it wasn't a problem. So do you actually breastfeed them or do you bottle feed them with breast milk? I did a bit of both. So immediately postpartum, I fed them and then I was up in the NICU with them and you can do a bit, but you don't want them to expend too much energy on trying to suck. You just want them to get the milk and grow. Mm. So it's kind of selective. My daughter got maybe a bit more sucking um, and then I just sort of would preference the milk to go to my smallest baby. And then if they had to top it up with a bit of formula, they did that as well. Mm. And it doesn't matter what formula you use. It's just like we got, we got, oh, that's a good tip for multiples. You can get free formula S26 um, that the formula company gives you. You just need a letter from your GP. Oh. Yeah. And they gave us like until like over 12 months free formula. Wow. For twins? For multiples? Yeah. I think there's a discount for twins. Like they give that's you a like, huge saving because yeah, I imagine yeah, yeah. that would just be that so much. That was another triplet mum that told me that. I just found her on Instagram as well. And is it just that particular brand? There's another brand, but it wasn't like fully free, so I just went with the free. One. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you the got, free you one works, four babies, go with like, that. Come on. Yeah, yeah. So not, lots of people don't like S twenty six because it like they, they get a bit colicky or whatever. But I just sort of like push through that. <laughs> You'll be right. <laughs> You'll be right. <laughs> Was there anything else you did or read about, or you know, in preparation to having them? I wish I could say yes, but there was absolutely nothing. No, I had my firstborn and I think that's the best sort of like training that you can do. If, I would have struggled if I did it the other way around because you sort of romanticize what your firstborn's going to be like and things and then it's a rude shock when it doesn't work out that way. Yeah. So I've sort of been through all that with my first. And then with the feeding and stuff, like I had zero expectations that I'd be able to feed triplets and I managed to give them like exclusive breast milk for like eight weeks and then Whoa. pretty much like 90% until about three months of age and then I kept Eddie going till six months my littlest one wow and that was expressing most of the time most of the time yeah yeah and sometimes overnight when I'm getting gorgeous I was too tired to pump I just feed but very seldom would I rely on like feeding them because you just need to make sure they've got food so yeah. they can sleep you can stay on the routine. I'm like, everyone does it differently, but I had to be structured. Yeah, because I was going to say, I feel like you either have to be very go with the flow yes. or extremely regimented. And yeah, I don't think obviously you can go with the flow with triples. Like, yeah. Maybe twins, you could get away with it, but you'd just lose your mind. Yeah. You wouldn't sleep. You would never put them down. Or you just have to get used to them screaming. So how did you, how is there enough hours in the day to pump, yeah, totally. feed them, yeah. sterilize that, put them to sleep, you fall asleep and then you wake up and do it again? Full disclosure, I had an amazing night nurse as well that helped me with nights. So I'd just be pumping overnight and like I might take one with me overnight, but she was there during the week and then the weekends I'd do. And what would she do? Would she just be up all night feeding them? She was like Mary Poppins. I called her Natalie Night Nurse. She's on the Northern Beaches. Natalie Night Nurse. I love it. <laughs> I might get her over for me. Yeah, no, she's this. so worth it. She was just amazing. She's not a nurse or anything. She had twin boys and she's just a lovely. Like she had a beautiful southern drawl. She's from like the south in America originally, but she's been here for ages on like a beaches girl and she just fit into our family and like I hit the jackpot with her and I was lucky that I had lots of family support and the financial means to have a night nurse like I know that's not can I ask how much does that kind of thing cost oh it's like it's huge it's the hourly rates anywhere I'm a bit out of touch with it now but I think it's like $50 yeah. an hour or something or plus a bit more yeah. maybe and there's lots of people that take advantage of you there's lots of really you know, I, I went through a few different night nurses until I found her and I'd come out and she'd be co-sleeping with like my micro, my tiny Premi and they were working in the day and she had kids, like not Natalie and di different nurses. 
So you can really be taken advantage oh, of. So she was working during the day and then being paid to sleep it's at really, night. At your, yeah, it's, yeah, it's such an unregulated thing. So like, if you get like a bad gut feeling about it and check the references, my bad experience with one of them, I got a recommendation through a private hospital, like a really reputable NICU. And they go, oh, yeah, she works here and she does this. And I'm a doctor and I was still like appalled with what happens. Wow. Like wrapping them and putting him on his tummy as like a preemie and like doing all this stuff. And I'm like, why am I paying you? Like I could give them a substandard care. Like, yeah. <laughs> so you just be super careful. It's super unregulated. Check references. And if you get a bad feeling, like just part ways and find someone else. And did your husband take an extended amount of time off or how long was no no? <laughs> no, he um he works like basically the whole way through. Yeah. What does he do? He's in finance, so he's a trader. So he's basically on call like through the night for London markets and he works super hard during the day, like big trades and maths and stuff so he had to be on point so I took 18 months off and it was basically me and then I had the support of my family because we were living with them yeah and we had the night nurse help yeah how else would you do it yeah if you didn't have family around you know like I've heard horror stories of people in apartments like with no family and like the divorce rate must be huge because like you all you have is your partner and like that's the first person that you'd sort of like fight with so support is so important and how did you deal with those feelings of resentment like I imagine that your husband's job is stressful but still you must have looked at him going off to work and you're at home with a toddler and three newborns yeah how did you so like the training programs are pretty like hectic for specialty training so I was so grateful for the break in training and I was so grateful for the time with my firstborn as well and I knew that it, there was an end in sight. Like lots of people don't have that luxury. Like I'm like, I knew I was going back to full-time work. So I knew that my time with them was limited. And you know that it's fine. Like, you know, it's going to change. Like when it's in, it's so hard to have perspective. And I knew that it was the last time I'd have a newborn and the last time I'd feed. So I just tried to like enjoy it. That sounds really like, but yeah, that, that's the truth. Yeah. And I've actually found it more stressful, the anticipation of going back to work. I just relished in the time with them because it was such a unique experience. The whole world was locked down. I was really lucky that it was COVID mm. because like no one was doing anything. No one was off in Europe, like living their best lives. <laughs> like everyone was just locked inside. So I was locked inside with my family and all these beautiful babies. And I've got two amazing sisters as well that don't have kids that are around. So they're always people to hold your yeah. babies and love them like you would want. So I was like a really unique lucky case but that's also perspective as well like it's still yeah how did your firstborn deal with I hate it it. (laughs) his nickname is the prince and so the prince did not like being (laughs) was he the prince before he was an older brother yes yes yes. he was the first grandchild and just absolutely doted on and poor little princey he's like when are they going back mommy (laughs) never but no, he's warmed up and now he's super close with Grace. And then the two boys are sort of bonded. And Zachy goes to preschool five days a week. Yeah. And he's super pumped for the triplets to come to school with him one day. And yeah, it's it's hairy though in the first days. Like it's just, and you just feel so guilty because you don't realize that the two-year-old won't remember anything. And as long as they're happy and fed and loved, they're happy. But you desperately want to like, do water play with them and like do all these things, but it's um, in retrospect, he was fine. But it's hard. It's hardest on you because you overthink it. But like you change nappies for one newborn every couple of hours in the oh first newborn. God. Like you would have been constantly, and even if you had your big network of the team, it would have taken a village to get this system Did going. Did you ever skip out the front of your house? <laughs> like where do the nappies even go? Yeah, I know. My dad's full-time job was like garbage removalist. Yes. Like he <laughs> in the suburb and he just like, the smell so he'd just be driving through all over Sydney <laughs> <laughs> I think the council should give you an extra bin if you've got triplets we should have been so cheap we should have bought another bin 
and we take it to like mom's work and things but um <laughs> the naffies were hectic we just had amazon orders and like the yeah. big boxes would arrive and like i knew all the amazon drivers and the naffies were hectic yeah there's so many of them and what about washing like you would have had so yeah. much washing did you outsource that no we just like my grandparents also live here. It's like the great bunch. Like, All right, can we have a house? We, we need a house tour. <laughs> yeah. I need to see what's going on. So my gorgeous 90-year-old grandmother moved in and she just like, she's probably too frail to lift the baby. So that was her way of helping was to do the washing. Oh, but, bless her heart. Uh, and we have help. Like we've got a housekeeper. So, yeah. And do you get any kind of government supports for nappies or anything like that? Not for nappies and the huggies don't sponsor you. I didn't really look into it. Maybe they do, but like not really. I toyed with the idea of like hitting you up. So <laughs> See if I can help you out. Give, give me your tips. Yeah, no, no nappy support. I didn't know whether I'd share this story, but I will share this story. I gave the kids all food poisoning with undercooked chicken and ended up in hospital. With all three of them? Oh, no, the babies were fine. I went to hospital. So it was a little respite for me because I was so, I lost like 10 kilos in that first three to four months postpartum. Like I was skeletal, like you just eat when you can and pumping mm. and things. So I was really sort of deconditioned and like there was a straw that broke the camel's back. So I had to go and get like IV antibiotics because you couldn't take the antibiotics and had massive coffee withdrawals because I was just chugging coffee at that time. Yeah. So how many hours of sleep were you kind of averaging a night when you first came home? Yeah, I'd pump like every three hours and I'd have a night nurse like four nights a week. So on the nights the night nurse would come, I'd hand over to her. I think she started at like 10, 10.30, maybe a bit later, maybe 11 till 7 a.m. So that 11 to 7 a.m. I'd have like a few block hours of sleep. And then from like 7 a.m. or whatever time you wake up, like you hit the ground and you don't sit yeah. down. It's like changing. There's always someone to like burp or feed. Yeah. So I'd have the twinsy pillow and I'd express and then feed them. And sometimes you could do, you could balance and do all three. And you could like prop them up. There's those little like milky things and you could like the little milk pillows and you prop the bottle up. But then you have to burp them all. Yeah, so it was just like constant during the day and I literally just like, and I was lucky that they'd have a solid sleep from like six till nine. Yeah. So even though the night nurse didn't come, I could usually like have a bit of dinner and I'd often fall asleep then. So how do you like, because then you've got the newborn stage, but then you've also got when they start to crawl and get into every little crevice and then yeah. the tantrums start to hit because how old are they now? Uh, they're two and a half. Like they're in yeah. prime peak, aren't they? Of just getting, yeah. being cheeky. How like Growing nappies. Yeah, not all. wanting to get yeah. dressed. How do you deal with like. Go back to work. Yeah. <laughs> you outsource that to somebody else. Like the newborn stuff, I'm going to sound like an absolute freak, but you're in control. Like it doesn't feel like it because you're so sleep deprived. But realistically, you can be quite like methodical and, and it's like input, output. You've got to put the milk in. They need to sleep. They need to be held and feel secure and wrapped and things. And it's quite, it's quite easy to meet their needs. It doesn't feel like it because all they can do is scream to convey their emotion to you. But once you can get past the, like, they're crying not because they're sad or they're hurt, they're just crying because that's what babies do, then it's like you can say you're sort of in control and you can measure that they're gaining weight and then they start smiling at you and, like, the milestones are really rewarding. And, you know, when they're, like, two years old and they're saying, I hate you, Mom, I want you to, like, go away. Like, it's kind of like, oh. I get what you crushing. mean. Like, there's the talking back. They can actually say no to, like, putting their socks and shoes on. Whereas when they're a newborn, yeah, yeah they do cry more probably, but you do kind of have the final say. Yeah, and you can, like, burp them or, like, figure it out or, like, cuddle them or, like, change the poo. Whereas when they're two, sometimes they're just irrational and, like, they want to drive the car to preschool <laughs> and they can't. And, like... So did you have to get a new car? Like what car fits three capsules? That was the Four first capsules. thing my sister said to me. She's like, oh, my God, the car that you're going to have like a moon bus with the slidey doors. Yeah, we've got the Kia, which I love. It looks like a, a drug dealer. Like it's like black rims and black. <laughs> and it's this van that 
Yeah, no, it's not. It's good. The key is good. And prams? Are there triplet prams? Yeah, so I found a triplet pram on market, a Facebook marketplace and then it fell apart recently. So we um, bit the bullet and ordered, like, there's this big four-kid wagon from the States. Probably is it what they use sometimes at, like, daycare centres? They take yeah, them all, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you're basically the entire class that's <laughs> going out on an excursion. And they all kick, they kick each other in that and, yeah, but it's good. Like, it can fit in the chaos, so that's good. Yeah. What, what, what can't fit in the Kia? I think that's a really good car for a lot of children. Yeah, no, it's, it's Is awesome. Is that what you had? No, I had the Hyundai. It's similar. It's a Hyundai. What did I have? I don't know, but I was always so impressed when I came in it, the way you could whiz about in yeah, that Yeah, they're easy to drive because yeah. they're actually quite wide at the front, so they're a really easy car to navigate. Yeah, and the cameras and stuff. We looked at the Mercedes one. But it's more of like a van. Mm. It's good too, but it was like more like driving a truck. And I feel like it's good those cars because you can sort of space your kids out where the seats are. Yeah. So we took it's like three mm. sections and like front and then in the middle we took out the middle seat. So you climb in. And now the kids can climb in and sit yeah. in their seats. But in the first instance, we had a Tiguan all space and we just had the three capsules. Because it was locked down, we didn't take Zaki out. But when we need, we got the Kia. When we need to take all four out, and we just climb over Zaki's one because he's front facing. And the triplets have just made their front facing now. They've been front facing for a bit. Yeah. And so, how old were they when you kind of like went out of the house with them on your own for the first no. time? Never. <laughs> we looked back at like our photos after the first year on like New Year's Eve, and like we did not leave the back room. Like every photo is in the back room, so. And because of lockdown, yeah, we, we didn't even have people over for ages, but we have a big family, so it wasn't too isolating. But, yeah, we didn't venture out until they were, like, two this year probably. So, like, one and a half, two, we didn't really bother because you just, like, it's too hard mm. to pack everything up and stuff. But now we do, we go to the beach and we get out a bit and inflict the triplets on other things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everyone's like, hi. And then they come over and they're like, I can see you. Yeah. So do you get invited anywhere? Because <laughs> everyone's warned me that once you get to three kids, no one invites no us one anywhere. Invites you anywhere. We never get anywhere. invited anywhere. Yeah. We're, we're always the people that invite our friends over, and obviously we've got a lot of space for it, so it's fine. But we very rarely get invited to other people's places because it's not like your kids are bad. It's just that's a lot of people for someone to have over. Yeah. Yeah, not many people have big enough spaces for it. And you don't, like, when you go to a friend's, you can't catch up with them because you're constantly, like, you know, stopping them doing stuff to the, your yeah. friend's house and things. So it's, like, not worth it. And I'm kind of over park dates. Like, well, I can't wait till I'm done with park dates. Yeah. So tell us about when you started back at work. What was that like? Yeah, terrifying. So the apprehension of going back is is huge and like I felt like I'd forgotten everything and I was meant to be doing a rural rotation so I was meant to be like flying in and flying oh, out wow. so I was just terrified yeah but luckily because of COVID I ended up just being in private practice so it was quite nice like skin checks and can I ask you a question how long yeah. like do you have to do say four or six six years of becoming a doctor and then on top of that you've got to do extra years to become a dermatologist Yes. So you typically med schools like four to six years in like some places and it's mostly postgrad. So you do, I did undergrad law and business and then I did a big change to med and that's like nine years of study at uni. And then you do internship residency. So internships a year, residencies a year. And then dermatology is quite competitive to get into. So you have to apply to what specialty program you want to do. So I had to do two years of research and a master's to get selected in. And then it's four years of training and a big exit exam. So I've got that exam to look forward to next year or the year after. Just gives me anxiety thinking about that all and then having triplets and a child. Like, good on you. Oh, it's like so hard and I struggle so much with it. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't love dermatology and really yeah. want to finish. Yeah. And I'm going to take some time off next year to study. 
So the college has allowed me to take six months to, um, so that I can't wait. And also my eldest is starting kindy, so I wanted to spend that time with him because he's in five days mm. of daycare. And it's like, oh, so the six-month yeah. break doesn't mean you get to move out of the house and no. have a break from the kids too. <laughs> How do you study around that many kids though? Yeah, I've got a study group on Sunday evenings and they're awesome yeah. and they're all parents. Like they've all got one kid. And there's, so we're all just like, we have 10 minutes of like, uh, um, yeah. how was your week? And then we just like punch through a couple of chapters of the textbook and we typically present. So like I'll have a couple of hours during the week of an evening once they're all in bed and I'll do my study then. And you're constantly learning. So that's what a training program's about in medicine. So you're seeing patients, but you also have to run everything by consultants. So that's, they're constantly quizzing you and we have skin school. So we've got Zoom classes and things throughout the week. And who cooks? Can you see why I haven't gone back? Yeah, I know. (laughs) That's my other question I was thinking the other day. When you become a doctor, can you be a doctor forever or do you have to resit an exam? Like say if you decided to go back in five years, would you have to resit anything? It's not an exam, but there would be certain things I would have to meet before I can go back. Yeah, they wouldn't just like, like I think even now, so I'm registered as a non-practicing doctor. Yeah. So I couldn't just like call up a hospital. Hospital. Let's take you back to prep and then you can go be a doctor. And like waltz in and be like, hey, I'm here to yeah, yeah, yeah. write you a script. Yeah. yeah. What's been going on the past two years? Fucking who hostable. knows? COVID, don't know. Who does all the cooking? My dad. My dad cooks oh. during the week and we try it and then we just like Guzman gets hit up a lot on the weekend. He's a good guy. I think I <laughs> ate so much in my pregnancy. I thought the triplets would be a burrito by the end of it. <laughs> and yeah, we spend a lot of money on takeaway, like training. It's just survival. I just eat whatever at the hospital. All the um, dinner ladies and stuff, we use that a bit. Yeah. I try to get a recipes. I can give a plug to. I just pronounced it wrong, I'm sure. Recipes, Recipes. that's okay. But how did you, when you went back, how did you get into the juggle of mumming and working? It's so hard and, like, it's the hardest on you. Like, a working mum, like, I had lots of mentors. Like, my mum being one, she's a GP and she has her own practice. And the kids are really well taken care of because all of my income goes to nannies. Like, I don't make anything we rely on my whole income and part of my husband's just to pay for the care because I just need to get through my training. So we're investing in that. So the kids' needs are met really well, but it's often the mum that, like, it's the sacrifice of the working mum. It's just the guilt. Like, you can never do enough. Like, if I feel like I'm concentrating on my patients and my work and my study, I often, then you just have the guilt that, like, I'm not giving the kids enough attention and yeah, you burn out of it. So I just went down to Melbourne with my best friend who's on maternity leave for the weekend. Not everyone can do it either, but that was, we just went to lunch and slept in and you just need to like break the circuit every so often and do that. Yeah. Because I can't go away with my husband because someone has to watch the kids. Yeah, so how does the care look? Like does one nanny happily look after three kids no, or do you have to have a couple? couple? in the afternoon. Yeah. yeah. So Zaki... I'll do the morning thing and then the nanny will come and I'll go to work. So they've like had breakfast and like you get them dressed for the day and then they're playing uh, and then the nanny will start and there's one nanny from 7.30 till 3 o'clock and then two nannies in the afternoon when Zachy comes home from school. And it's just so variable. Like when I'm on call, sometimes my phone will be and I can't come home for the afternoon bit. But most times I'm there from about 4.30 onwards. So I'll put them to bed. Yeah. Do you kind of just come home after they've been like fed and washed and you're like, oh. Sometimes I'll sit in the car and be like, oh, maybe I'll just have a little scroll on the ground and wait. (laughs) A little bit of me time. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow, mm-hmm. it's it's a lot, isn't it? Oh, this this was a big one actually. This came in from a lot of twin mums. What are the most annoying things that people say to you out in public? Were they natural? Because it's like really kind of invasive question. I think like were they vaginal delivery? And I'm like, 
Well, like you would never go up to someone pushing a pram with one baby and just out of the blue yeah. go, did you have IVF? Yeah, or exactly, exactly. Just have sex or did they come out of here, there or everywhere? And everyone just presumes they're IVF, so they presume they're allowed to ask that question. And or they, like, comment on, like, Steve's fertility. They're like, oh, wow, super Sam. <laughs> you like, this is awkward. <laughs> There's I that's doing a podcast and I've just like divulged everything about myself. Yeah, but that's different. Like, like you've come it's here. Still, like quite when it's a random on the street, you're like, oh. yeah. I feel like though, without people, like it's like they have no filter. I think when it's such a rare thing, like it is very rare to see, you know, triplets. So when people come to terms and see a triplet mum, it's like word vomit. It just comes mm. out because they're just so in awe of what has, how did they, yeah. like how did this happen? Yeah. That they don't even think, oh, that's actually quite rude or that's probably not in a Well, if you think about the random word vomit stuff. that comes out of someone's mouth just when they see a pregnant woman, yeah. let alone when they see someone who's there yeah. with like three newborns or whatever. Yeah. My friend said she was always offended because people would be like, oh, you poor thing, you've got twins. Yeah. And she would be like, no, you're literally wrong. talking to two humans like and if you had known what I'd gone through to get these two babies it is not poor me yeah I always get tiger mom because they want to gawk at the triplets and be like oh my god triplets and then my little four-year-old standing there with like big eyes like I'm here too and this is the big brother so like if you can praise the sibling like I really appreciate that yeah, yeah, 100%. And if we have a loved one or, you know, someone close to us who's about to become a mum of multiples, yeah. what are things that can be really helpful? Just like talking to them and calling them and make sure you put it in your diary and you call them like every two weeks. Like I had girlfriends that would just text me and be like, you're awesome. And um, people often like send the first bunch of flowers and they're like ticked on. And then you get into your own little world. So like just having friends that actually pick up the phone that actually come over, you don't need to buy anything or like do anything or take the kid or babysit. You just need to like be a presence in their life and talk to them, I think, because mm. it's. And I think with multiples, most of the time, it's just an extra set of hands, yeah, right? Like, as you say, sure. like just someone to hold and burp while 100%. you're burping another one. Yeah. So you can sit down and like. Yes, to sit down. I couldn't sit down unless I had like an arm and not talk when you come over. Like if you could just come over and unload the dishwasher or like fold something or like and not have to be like, how you talk? Like if you could just, someone that came over in silence and was just there would be great. Mm. Or to (laughs) take your husband out as well because they feel like, you know, in the early days it was mainly me and then my husband wanted to like look after me but then you don't have much time to give them attention like, his mates taking care of him was really helpful yeah well we think you are absolutely amazing (laughs) yeah I just I'm still in awe and yeah I feel like I've gained perspective to go into even having you know like one baby on their own I feel like you can learn so much from someone who's had multiple so thank you so much for chatting with us today that's okay that's okay and we wish you the best of luck with all your training as well absolutely thank you thanks for listening to this episode of beyond the bump if you enjoyed it please subscribe and give us a review if you didn't good on you You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.